0: workforce and workplace norms are shaped as much by popularized portrayals as they are by our lived experiences from sensational headlines like the great resignation to successful series like the office and silicon valley to skits and stories shared on our social media feeds what we see shapes what we believe let's go behind the scenes to discover what's new now and next in the world of work and we'll challenge the traditions of what it means to live well and to work well. This is Success From Anywhere.
1: Today on Success From Anywhere, we'll unravel an important thread between politics, power perception, and promotability in the new world of work. Please welcome to the show the leader who's redefining what it means to keep your skills in your hip pocket. Sally Christensen, founder and CEO of Argent Work is joining us today. Welcome to the show, Sally. Hi, Karen. Thanks for having me. Because we are talking about the world of work, I like to ask each guest, what was your first paying job and how did that job
0: inform or inspire your career trajectory? Oh boy, first paying job. I wanted to work since uh, the age of five, I think. I was ready for my first job. By the time I turned 14, I went down to a place called the Cripple Crab uh, and applied (laughs) to be a hostess. And they hired me off the books. um, And I just sort of did like odd jobs around the restaurant. So um, it was this seafood restaurant right off of i-95 in south carolina and we got all kinds of traffic and it was a pretty popular destination uh it informed my work ethic for sure i mean i loved i just loved being able to tie hard work to uh an income and then you know being able to buy things with money that i'd saved myself it just felt very rewarding um so it started a love affair for me of just hard work and making people happy, honestly, meeting people, connecting with people, and then um, sort of being able to take care of myself. It felt much more gratifying.
1: Your story reminds me of my childhood. Other kids were playing house. I was playing office and I had this dress I thought was a work uniform. Yeah, kind of look. And I have a brother who's four years younger and unfortunately he was always my employee at these imaginary offices I was running.
0: That my dad had, my dad uh, is an entrepreneur himself, and I'd go into work with him, and it was like pre-internet, like when the internet was the internet, right? So I'd sit there with like a stapler and a stack of papers and just dream of faxing papers and owning my own stapler. I mean, it was like the most basic aspirations, but I just wanted to work, so we would have been good friends. Yeah. Well, you went from staplers to workplace staples,
1: which we'll talk about in a moment. Along your career journey, you went from a career in corporate America to becoming an entrepreneur. Take us through that story arc because lots of listeners have either made a similar transition or are thinking about it as we're all reinventing ourselves right now.
0: Yeah. So I think every person ticks differently. And so for a lot of people that want to start their own companies, they just dive right in and they sometimes will even skip over the academic, you know, portion of, um, their path. And for me, it was, I really felt strongly about academia coupled with real world experience prior to starting my own company. I always knew that I wanted to start my own company, but just for myself, I felt like I would be best set up if I, had a better understanding of business so I got my you know MBA if I had a better understanding of the real world and some real world experience so after undergrad I worked in banking and finance with my MBA I had a focus on supply chain afterwards I went into a job at Cisco Systems it was a leadership development rotational program so I got to do Uh, six months in all the major functions at Cisco. And then uh, the job that I had most recently prior to starting Argent was in Cisco's cloud initiative. And so that was essentially intrapreneurship with an I. So being an entrepreneur within a large organization, I was the seventh person on a team that grew to 250 people in a year and just learned so much about both myself, about people, about building, about man, you know, building a team and managing a team and building something from scratch. And so with all of those um, collective experiences, I felt best equipped to just go out and start my own um, company. That said, I didn't know what I was going to start. And in 2014, while I was still at Cisco, I read a study that showed that women are judged based on appearance. And for the first time, they quantified the impact of what you wear on your bottom line over your lifetime. And uh, it ends up being really significant. And shopping for workwear as basic as it seems has been an ongoing pain point of mine across different industries, across different environments, in different cities. And it's been shared with my peer group everywhere that I've been. And so, you know, my entrepreneurial self said, I'm just gonna quit my job and go after this. And worst case, you know, let's say one or two years in, it doesn't work out, I can always re-enter. And so that was my outlook going in. Uh, Basically, this will be a great experience and I'll learn something from it and that's kind of always my barometer for taking on new experiences, new roles, either in an organization or, you know, starting my own uh, company is, am I going to be learning and growing from this? And the answer was yes. So I went for it. You highlighted the importance of
1: getting a variety of skills. When I think about being an entrepreneur, you certainly are using the experience you gained in finance and in understanding how businesses work and growing something and starting something and speaking the language of the business. So, you know, first piece of advice I heard is be conscious of gaining skills that make it possible for you to be on a path, to be an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur. And then you hit something really important there, which is the amount of research that quantifies the link between your appearance, how you dress, and your promotability and pay over time. There was in fact, a study that just came out recently, some new research from an organization called Office Team on clothing and promotability. And it revealed 86% of workers and 80% of managers believe clothing choices affect a person's chances of being promoted. What's your reaction to that? And is that still true in this world of distributed work?
0: I think that there are two pieces to that and uh one is yes I think the way that you show up impacts people's perception of you because we're making snap judgments of each other all the time but inherent in that is how you feel when you show up so we derive confidence from what we wear and we derive confidence from just how we're you know how we're feeling really um and so I do think that it has sort of that twofold impact and it is important. And we're all familiar with the feeling of putting something on that we feel great in, or maybe we exercise and we're high on endorphins and we just feel good. I think that that is a really important component that we sort of apply as our lens is how can we give women confidence in terms of what they're wearing to feel their best so that when they do show up, people, people can feel that. Um, and people can see that, and I think that that does lead to uh, promotability, for lack of a better word. I also want to call out that women are, and this is unsurprising, held to a different standard than men in terms of um, you know what we wear and how we show up compared to men. And uh, I think part of that is confirmation bias. So for some people in society, unfortunately, they're looking for confirmation that women are inferior, for lack of a better way to describe it. So if you show up in a way that confirms that bias, then immediately people are making snap judgments about you. So not. I, I think the opposite of that, though, is that if you dress to impress, to use the cliche, it really does work to your advantage uh, for a multitude of reasons. Your comment reminds me of an interview I saw
1: with Diane Von Furstberg years ago, right? Famous fashion leader, designer, and inventor of the wrap dress. And the interviewer asked her, what's the most important accessory for any woman? And she said, confidence. Every woman needs to be clothed in confidence. You referenced that as well. And now you've started this business called Argent Work. First of all, what does Argent mean? And secondly, what what is this business? Because you're inspired about clothing women and and really everyone in confidence.
0: Yeah, so uh, Argent, uh, the name was derived from my great grandfather's company. So naming something is the hardest exercise period. Uh, Honestly, like one of the biggest challenges that we had was landing on a name. And so I remember early days, I basically had a wall of name options and i kept coming back to this one because there was an emotional tie to it um it was easy and short and undefined and so ultimately that's why we landed on argent it does mean silver in french which people often um will connect it to i think that that in some ways is a nice irony because you know we are here to support working women and uh yeah, I, I like the tie to silver. So um, the second part of that question uh, was around what we what we offer. So our focus is really on solving, from a product perspective, something that I felt like was a major gap, which is uh, really offering something that's catered to working women in fashion. This is a category that is perceived as unsexy and uncool. And so it's been overlooked and really has been an afterthought. Uh, it is our entire focus, uh, starting with the consumer, what does the consumer need? So we're focused on style, function, versatility, and comfort. And, uh, really with all of those things, ultimately you do feel at your most confident when you're wearing Argent because you have, um, basically we're streamlining your day to day. So you just feel as if you've been thought of in the design process and that really translates in terms of how you feel when you're out in the world. Uh, the second piece that, we're, like, that I'm really proud of and our goal of with the brand is to um, visually represent working women in a way that I just didn't see in my past. Uh, so basically taking members of our community and modeling what a successful career path can look like and there are one million different paths that you can take and so how do we showcase and highlight and celebrate women that are on a different you know path to taking a different journey in a way that uh, really inspires future generations and, and lets them know that sort of you know all options exist versus when I grew up it was like you could be really a mom was like the biggest, you know, in the Southeast or a doctor, lawyer, banker. I didn't really have any sort of understanding outside of that, of, of what a career could look like. Growing up
1: in the Midwest, the other option, I would add to that was teacher, right? We saw a lot of the teacher, uh, oh, you know, sure. options as well. Yes. Yeah. And what strikes me about what you're saying is that women's work has not evolved in decades, kind of on two fronts. One is, the actual stylistic nature of it. I mean, I think back to my first interview suit, and we all had one, you know, male, female, non-binary. We all had a, an interview suit. And I think about how different is workwear from a design perspective now really than it was then. It's not so different. The reality was workwear for women was, you know, the I'll use the iconic Brooks Brothers Navy blue suit for men sort of shrunk down and still kind of boxy and if you deviated from that in the office i can't tell you the number of times in a 360 feedback review or feedback from a huge presentation i'd given that someone would comment on my appearance i mean how do we move beyond
0: beauty bias and lookism in the workplace oh great question uh uh, yeah so One, we all have that memory for sure. I mean, I I remember my Ann Taylor brown pantsuit that I wore into the bank that I was, just felt whatever in, right? And like for a decade of work dressing, it was just always a headache and a time suck for a very time constrained person. And so uh, I think for us, one of the challenges that we've run into is that work wear is associated with that, right? And we're actually catering to the modern professional. And so we're introducing denim this fall. We're introducing sweaters this fall. So we're catering to the consumer that's working from home and it flexes up or that's in a more casual environment. And a lot of people are dressing like that now or a lot of corporate dress codes are calling for denim. And then we offer full suited, fully suited options, but it's not the shrink and pink model that your Brooks Brothers were doing, for example, where they would take a men's suit and shrink it and like pink it is what they call it uh, and just force fit it to work for women. We're actually starting with our consumer and designing for her. So a, tra- a more traditional suit for us is actually really chic and fits in a way that you haven't experienced before and has interior pockets and it has bands in the sleeve that hold up the sleeves when you push it up. You know, they're just hacks within the product that really make the consumer feel considered and feel great in what they're wearing.
1: Hybrid work. Employees want it, employers need it, and everyone has questions. When done right, facilitating flexible work can be a win-win for everyone. Happier employees, engaged teams, and better business outcomes robin is here to make the logistics easy our all-in-one workplace experience platform helps thousands of companies reimagine their approach to work to learn more about how we make hybrid work work visit robinpowered.com yes i'm in fact you know i'm wearing right one of your shirts and vests right now so this is this argentwork brand and it struck me the first time I saw this, some people listening don't know, women's professional attire has a pocket problem, right? So now you can see there's actually a pocket to put something like a phone in or business cards. And what I like is when I'm wearing this on stage, giving a big presentation, it lays flat, so I'm not lumpy. This is just, oh, and space is here, you know, if you wanna keep a pen all on the inside. It was revelatory to me the first time I walked on stage to do a keynote. And there was a space to put the microphone pack that wasn't hanging on the back of my dress, poking me in the back of my head. Even that, even that getting poked in the head while giving a power presentation can take you out of that moment. Which makes me think about, you know, what are some of the other ways you're designing function into women's workwear? Because men have long had an advantage here that women haven't.
0: Yeah, I mean, pockets are definitely the most obvious example. Uh, but we also have a jumpsuit coming out this fall that is detachable, so you can use the restroom without having to take the whole thing off. So it becomes, you know, a work-appropriate option that allows you to spend the thirty seconds that you have between meetings, you know, quickly using the restroom versus having to like completely disrobe. Um, we have the band in the sleeves that i mentioned uh, we have you know little pockets for credit cards in your pants if you're not wearing the blazer uh, so it, really it's just little hacks in all of our pieces um, pockets and everything for sure pants and blazers um, but we're considering every use case and so one of the like most vivid memories from my days at Cisco was when I was working with a state we were doing um, essentially licensing for a state-owned enterprise in China and uh, the boss was based in China came in town predominantly a male team there were three women on the team we had a meeting before lunch we went to lunch all the men went straight to lunch and the women had to go back to their desks to get their bags so credit cards and phones and then followed the group of males so by the time that we got there got our food we sat on the end from like the boss is basically sitting in the middle surrounded by all the men and the women were on the outskirts and so we missed a really important networking opportunity we missed this chance to informally connect with you know the boss of the initiative and so those it's just like the smallest example of how our clothing can hold us back and um how do we consider all of those experiences in the design process and make sure that we're fully delivering for women in a way that allows them to fully participate so i mean we we're constantly trying to innovate and think of you know what the experience is like as a working woman i think you know another area of focus for us are moms you know who are who are still pumping and Uh, have a need for pumping. I I don't know that we have like full solutions. We've got a couple of things pipelined that I'm excited about. So um, we're just thinking about things that women are experiencing, um, you know, and how we can innovate through through our garments.
1: You start with listening to your audience and then representing a wide range of people. I mean, on your site and in all of your materials, There are women in all kinds of professions representing a range of body sizes, ethnicities. What's fascinating to me about your business model is you go beyond clothing to also have programs to help clothe people in confidence. Tell us about some of the programs and empowerment opportunities that you've wrapped around your dress for success, or what do you
0: say, ambition suits you? Dress like you mean business? (laughs) Yeah, so I think that the thing that excited me most when starting Argent was that rooting it in a physical product uh, that represents our collective strength, um, you know, and serves as a physical reminder to women that are oftentimes the only woman at the table in their respective work environments. Um, but just basically armoring them for a lack of better word and something that reminds them that it's not just you and there there are a number of us that are up against, you know, gender inequities and, um, you know, the multitude of issues and challenges that women face. So I think that just having that physical reminder of the fact that there is a community here, um, there's data that shows that women individually can feel a bit defeated, but collectively feel quite powerful. and so. To me, the clothes are a physical reminder that even if you're not together with that group that you know we're there and it's there. And then I think um in terms of programming, it is so much more than just the clothing. We're really on a mission to arm women with the tools that they need to optimally and successfully navigate their career, whatever that might look like. And it looks different for everyone, but we really feel strongly that Um, you know women deserve equity in the workplace period full stop and so we have I mentioned simply just casting our community members as models for our campaigns and doing a lot of storytelling with them is a big piece of it building out our editorial arm is a huge priority for us that we've just you know started but um, we rolled out recently a, a program called office hours where you know we talk with women that are in powerful positions um, that are giving advice that we then you know disseminate to our community uh, and then the thing that we have not done as much of in the last two years but we'll be rolling back out our uh, actual workshops and events focused on negotiating and um, things as simple as come get your LinkedIn photo you know so Whatever it is that we feel like um, is helpful to our community, we've really been focused on uh, offering through the brand and through um, events that we host. We have
1: lots of men who listen to the show as well. And they might be wondering, is there a menswear line in your future? And if not, why not? Why are you not focused there?
0: So, oh, uh, Stay tuned. Um, So I think we're absolutely focused on women, but involving men in the conversation is an absolute priority. And so in the events that I mentioned, we did a negotiation workshop where the content is gender neutral. And I think it's important that men participate both as coaches, but also as participants, because the experience of being female in the workplace is fundamentally different than it is for males. And so for people in power to understand that when you ask for more money, which is what women are told to do because we don't ask for more money. And then, you know, whether it's at hiring or when getting promoted, our experience ends up being different in that we get more pushback. Um, And there's like, and I'm stereotyping a bit, but this happens more to women than it does to men. And so I think for there to be an understanding at all levels is incredibly helpful because I think that change really happens through a collective effort. Uh, From a product perspective, we are focused on women. However, we might have something coming out in 2023 um, that would cater to a male audience, so stay tuned.
1: I'll never forget the time I had a male coworker approach me because he had a female employee that he felt was dressed inappropriately and he didn't want to have a conversation with her. And over time, whether it was male or female, I slowly became the go-to person for office attire conversations, which in and of itself is a bit discriminatory. You and I were talking about that study earlier from Office Team, and they talked about this candid clothing conversations as one area they researched. You know, there's a wide range of comfort levels, as you would expect, with having the conversation. Of those they surveyed, 44% had spoken to an employee about inappropriate attire, 32% had sent an employee home based on what they were wearing. And out of all of those manager conversations, Um, 35% described that they felt incredibly awkward even though they had the conversation. 15% completely avoided having the conversation at all. What words of wisdom do you have for leaders or for colleagues who may observe that someone is dressed in a way that they're not showing up at their
0: best? How do we have this candid conversation in an appropriate way? Oh, this is a tough one. I can absolutely understand in today's world why men would want to avoid having the conversation because unfortunately I do think that there's exposure there as much as I don't want to admit that. And so I think the priority is if there is someone that you feel like is dressing in a way that is impacting their career, you are doing them a favor by making sure that that message reaches them. So I think that that is the priority, is um, making sure that your intentions are right and that the message is correctly delivered. And so who the messenger is, I personally think there's a little bit more flexibility around because I do think, again, like I think it's a tough conversation to have, um, but just making sure that it is had uh, is, is number one. Uh, number two, I think how you handle that message being delivered is also important and i think that it is that we see a lot of potential in you and you're adding a lot of value and unfortunately these are you know some of the things that you have to consider in this environment it's just the reality that people do notice and people are paying attention people are talking about it it's distracting from the work and uh but i also think there is an element of choice in that right so if you'd like to continue dressing that way that's absolutely your prerogative however here is how it's impacting you and how it could potentially impact you um, so i think that it's about awareness for that individual and for them having the, a choice in the matter i don't think it should be prescriptive and i don't think it should be you absolutely have to dress this way in terms of if I, if you flip it and you're an employee starting a new job, or if you're interviewing at a company, the way that I recommend approaching it is understand what the dress code is at that particular company, and then within those within those boundaries, create your own identity that like works for your personal style and is comfortable for you and appropriate within. Uh, that dress code. For example, Facebook, if you show up fully suited, you're not a fit, period. Amazon, same thing. Amazon will send out, and I think a lot of companies do this, dress code guidelines for interviewing to make sure that you don't misstep in that way. And so I think it's really, uh, it's important that you do a little bit of work up front and Um, to me, awareness across the board is key for individuals to have a successful career. So awareness of the fact that what you wear matters and impacts your bottom line, do with that what you will awareness of what the dress code is at an organization, creating your own dress code within that. Ideally, if you're ambitious, leveraging it to your advantage in a way that maybe you're dressing up just a little bit, um, and really using that to stand out into, um, be an extension of the work that you're doing and just enhance the work that you're doing Um, awareness of even things going beyond dress but to compensation and promote like promotion paths and things like that like the more that you know the more equipped you are to successfully navigate your own career Uh, and i think the onus on senior teams is to try and mentor and sponsor you know, people that they see potential in and making sure that simple things aren't holding them back and that there is awareness there. Pre-pandemic, we had a perception of
1: what a power suit is and when you wear it and the political implications. And then work from home happened and it normalized leisure wear as office attire. Now lots of people are returning to the office part-time or full-time or returning to conferences, what's the new power suit and what's your style guide for us all as we return to the office?
0: Totally depends. We're absolutely seeing data across every industry that pre-pandemic shopping behavior has returned. Workwear is, performing the best in apparel right now because everyone after spending two years in leisure wear is sick of feeling slovenly for a lack of a better word <laughs> and just a little bit lazy and so um every we're seeing a huge rebound in the category and people are over dressing from what they were pre-pandemic in some ways because they're going into the office maybe one to three days a week. And so for those three days, they really want to show up because they haven't been in public in two years. Um, In terms of navigating new dress codes, uh, again, I think it's really about versatility and having a range of options. The competitive landscape from our perspective is completely wiped out because everyone turned away from suiting for two years. And I think that that highlights like our founding mission and why we exist, which is there's always there's always a customer and always a need for a more standard, straightforward, black Navy conservative suit. Um, And we sold to women the last two years that are working in the White House that never worked from home. We sell to consultants, to women in banking, et cetera. Um, But now I think as you go back out it's about and it it, it's a bit of a reset I think for everyone but it's about going out and figuring out your wardrobe and doing the work in one day for the next six months to a year so going and figuring out what your particular like capsule looks like Um, for us we have solutions like I mentioned where you've got denim and sweaters maybe that could be your Friday wardrobe it could be your your all your you know if you're in tech your wardrobe five days a week Um, but then we've got suiting that is all it's, it's separate. So mix and match. Right. So, um, I think it's putting some thought and effort into what your wardrobe's going to look like as you emerge from the pandemic and, um, feeling great about it and solving it upfront. So you don't have to apply any sort of thought to it, uh, you know, after that sort of creating your, a formula for yourself, if you will invest in
1: your starter kit i love it it's instead of back to school shopping we're going to do back to office shopping and do it in a day and speaking of going back to the office people often talk about missing the spontaneous conversation of the water cooler which is why i have a virtual water cooler segment in the show that we'll transition to now where i'm going to ask you five questions to share What comes to the top of your mind as we have a spontaneous conversation with all of your beautiful suit jackets hanging behind you? Are you ready? (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) I love this so much. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: In business. Yeah, I can see that. I just wanted to work. It literally, I, I just wanted to do whatever as long as I was working, I was happy.
1: What is your favorite guilty pleasure office snack?
0: Can I say kombucha? And is I don't know if that's a guilty pleasure, uh, or maybe a, chai latte. It's okay, a chai latte. It's all beverage
1: for me. If it's comforting, there's another CEO who was on the show, uh, from Uh, Well, I won't reveal his company so that people will listen to the episode, but his guilty pleasure was an apple. And I thought, wow, if that's your guilty pleasure, what are your healthy choices (laughs) on a day to day basis? I mean, that was impressive. I can,
0: I can, I can, that's incredible. Yeah, kombucha is too healthy. Agree. Yeah, chai is full of sugar, jam packed. (laughs) I also can definitely get into some chocolate.
1: (laughs) I love it. What is the best, most creative excuse you've ever heard for someone missing a meeting?
0: The only ones I can think of are like legitimate.
1: We had a woman share, one of her employees was in labor and like on the way to the hospital had the presence of mind to send her a message and say, I'm, I'm missing the meeting because I'm on the way to the hospital and labor. And she's like, how did you have the presence of mind to send
0: me a message? Well, <laughs> what do you keep on your desk that inspires you? I have a note from one of our investors, uh, it's typed he mailed me a check and he mailed me a letter and this was like five years ago that said it says um dear sally let me know you got this i'll be tracking our our progress with great interest knock it out of the park or something like that and it's signed by him and i have it framed and i have it sitting on my desk uh yeah he's he's um an advertising executive he's had a t- like a very successful career just the way that it's worded and just like it just feels very personal and it inspires me that's fantastic support support
1: matters those reminders and to whom are you most grateful for investing in your career
0: i have a uh, mentor sponsor I would say from Cisco he's the reason I got hired into Cisco um, his name I can I say his name probably yes. right. it's all good stuff uh, Carl Breitberg you probably you might know him uh, yes. he I interviewed with him at Cisco after the program had already been hired for and he helped get me into this program uh, so they went off cycle a little bit he then became my executive mentor, so I met with him once a month, and then he led the cloud team that I joined, and has just been instrumental in every career step that I've made, including now. I still call him; he's still involved; he's still supportive, um, but he and I have a like we it evolved into a relationship of trust where. I felt very comfortable telling him any and everything, uh, in a way that I think helped me raise my awareness level around certain things with people specifically good and bad in the workplace. And, uh, he's just been a coach for me and someone who, um, has opened a lot of doors and gone above and beyond. I'll say for myself, I feel like he has modeled, um, what being a good executive is, which is carving out a portion of your time for the next generation of leaders. And unfortunately, I think with women, especially as you get more senior, your time is really sought after because there are fewer women at the top. And so I think that that sometimes becomes harder for women to carve out the time. But I do think um, it's important as you get higher in your career that you figure out a way to carve out a portion to mentor and sponsor and and sort of pay it forward i also think it adds to your this is like not a water cooler answer but it adds to your um your impact in a way where you have people that are willing to do anything for you like i would do anything for carl given all that he's done for me so i think that that loyalty is important and as you're building out teams etc so anyway carl carl
1: it is there are so many standout moments from our conversation today. I mean, fashion is functional, the, the best attire for the office, whether your office is a headquarters or a third party workspace or your home office is clothing that helps you feel confident and represents who you are and where you want to go next. And we can all play a role in combating beauty bias in the workplace check out Argent Work online. And before we close out the show today, Sally, I wanted to ask you, as you look forward, what's your biggest dream or aspiration for the future of work?
0: biggest dream is uh, gender equity, that women get all of the same opportunities and that work changes to better support women, specifically in moments where they have to balance work and life. Uh, I think that the most shining example is when you become a mom. I just don't think that we've figured out how to best support that in a way that allows women to stay in the workforce. And I think there's a lot of flexibility that can be introduced. Salesforce is actually a great example of some of the steps that can be taken to um, just get women on equal footing. I remember years ago when Mark Benioff made sure that uh, there was pay equity. So uh, I mean, just giving women equal opportunity to show up because we know that when women are at the table and part of the conversation that there is better output in every regard. So, um, for work, like we're definitely very mission focused, obviously from that answer. Um, but how do we ensure that women have the same access? And for our listeners who are wondering, Sally
1: does have two children of her own in addition to running her own business. So she's contributing her lived experience as well. She's in her own focus group, I guess I would say. Well, thank you to Sally Christensen, founder. <laughs> totally, totally. Yes. Well, thank you to Sally Christensen, founder and CEO of Argent Work, for clothing us in strategies to show up at our best today on Success From Anywhere.